trigger warning. This podcast is about grief. Whether you are newly bereaved or whether you have been stuck in grief for years, I do hope this podcast brings you some comfort. Grief is such a universal experience, but we all do it differently. This podcast is not about fixing you or forcing the healing process because there is no cure for grief. It can only be absorbed, experienced, loved and cared for. So whether you are doing it privately behind closed doors or like me, you are kicking and screaming your way through, let's support each other. This is a safe space where we can come together and share experiences. My hope is that this podcast shines a light on your path and gives you the strength to navigate your way through the grieving process. My name is Louise Bates and I'm so pleased we connected. I'm looking forward to interviewing people who have also walked this path to find out what worked for them in the hope that it helps you too. I'm sending you so much love and support and I look forward to sharing this crazy journey with you. Hello and welcome to my podcast, A Gift for Grief. And today I am delighted to be speaking to my first male guest, Ashley Griffiths. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. Now, do I call you Ashley or Ash? I go, I've been called many things, so <laughs> either or. Either okay, or well, good. on your email, you're Ash, or I'll, yeah. I'll call you Ash. Okay. Ash is a confidence coach who helps his clients with self-promotion, be that videos for their marketing, preparing for public speaking engagements or appearing live. He also has a podcast called An Expresso Shot of Confidence and he is on a mission to empower more people to believe in themselves. When Ash is not working, he's travelling or in a coffee shop with a good book, a black coffee and a slice of carrot cake. <laughs> Absolutely. I like that, but it'd have to be chocolate cake for me. Okay, okay. More <laughs> carrot cake for me then. That's all good. <laughs> so you like to travel. Could you tell us some of the places that you've been to? Wow, yeah. I've been to 45 countries so wow. far. Um, a lot of Asia, a lot of Europe. Uh, Morocco is my first dose of Africa. I um, spent a lot of time in Asia. Lived in Thailand, China, Japan. Wow. Um, yeah, looking at another trip soon, hopefully. Sri Lanka is top of my list, but just waiting to see. Have you got a favourite place? That's an impossible question, right? <laughs> it, change, it changes every day. Yeah. And I think Thailand has a special place in my heart. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So perhaps we could start with you telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Yeah, sure. So I'm uh, a confidence coach. So I help people with, with self-promotion, with being able to really tap into who they are, their gifts, the things they can do. Because I think there's always this temptation to focus on all the things you can't do. And as a result of that, people don't do things that they're more than capable of and they don't take advantage of their gifts. Yeah. So I really help with that. Um, one of the main things is getting people on videos um, because that seems to freak a lot of people out about going on social media and, oh, my God, look, it's me. I hate how I look. I hate yeah. how I sound. <sighs> but when we actually reflect on what the audience, how people are re reacting to them, it, it, it changes the whole narrative because yeah. people actually say, oh, well, people actually want to hear what I've got to say. Yeah because you've really got something to share. So I love being able to facilitate that transformation. Yeah. And I can resonate with that because I remember years ago putting my photograph on my website for the first time because I just did, never had my photograph on yeah. because I just didn't want people to see me because I you know, had this thing that didn't look right or it might put people off coming to see me. But now with social media... We've sort of got used to putting ourselves out there a little bit more, haven't we? Massively, yeah. massively. It's very common, the bit of picture, bit of video, putting yourself front and centre yeah. of your business really can open. It does take a lot of vulnerability yes, initially to yeah. do that, um, especially if, you're, if you've got any of those sort of judgments on yourself, which we all do, because when we see ourselves 
on a picture versus when we see ourselves in a mirror, it looks very different. So there's all sorts of psychology going on there. So it takes yeah. a little bit of getting used to. But ultimately, I, I always say to people, if you've got a gift, some knowledge to share with people and you know that you can help people, you have a responsibility to get that out there. Absolutely. So yeah. put that picture out there. You know, it sounds maybe sounds a little bit harsh, but kind of get over yourself yeah, <laughs> and yeah. get it out there yeah. um, because people need to see you. Great advice. So with you being a confidence coach, I imagine you've trained in a variety of different mindset tools. Yeah. So you're probably the best person to ask this question. But what is it about men that prevents them from talking about their feelings and emotions? Men having emotions <laughs> and feelings, heaven forbid. <laughs> I, I think a, a big part of that, I believe there's still a lot of stigma yeah. and about what it is to be a man. And there's this whole misconception of what masculine energy is and feminine energy is. Um, and a lot of people just, I think it's a hangover from when we were in the caves, hunter-gatherers, you know, with, or, or maybe not even that. I think it could be, I think it's more of a recent thing. Yeah. This, this whole concept of the man needs to be strong, has to have it all together. You know, we've got to be the strong person of the family. People yeah. rely on us. And there was this narrative that showing emotion was seen as a weakness, whereas I totally believe it's a strength. Absolutely. Because I think, because just look at the history of men, look at the suicide rates of men yeah. in the world right now. This all comes from not letting emotions out. People keep it in. It eats them alive, literally in some cases when, yeah. it, when it manifests into cancers. Um, it's, yeah, th there's just still the stigma about what will people think? Will people think that I am some weak, not you particularly useful person, man, if I share? Yeah. Um, and I believe wholeheartedly that more of us need to be sharing. Absolutely. And, you know, phrases like big boys don't cry yeah. doesn't help the cause really, does it? Well, there's a lot of common expressions around that, you know, like there's all stop being a girl, yeah. for example. That Again, these phrases that have been become quite part, part of our everyday life yeah. diminishes the male, you know, well, you're not a proper man if you like that. Yeah. But... I'd say you're more of a man <laughs> if you've got yes. the courage to be vulnerable, to share, to put stuff out there. Yeah. I think you're much more of one. And I feel and it has a much more positive impact on the people around you when you do that. Yeah. But it's sort of generations of conditioning, isn't it? But having you on the podcast today and other men will hear this, these conversations need to be heard, don't they? On all on all levels, they absolutely yeah. need to be heard. I mean, when you say it's generational, you know, I don't think I ever saw... The only emotion I think I ever saw from, like, say, my my granddad was maybe humour and anger yeah. from, the, from that generation and... Very rarely saw emotions from from my father until you know much later on. Yeah. Um. Now now I do. Um. But back then it was just something that wasn't encouraged or deemed acceptable. Yeah. We are getting better at talking about mental health, but we're still we've still got a long way to go, especially in this country. Huge, I think, haven't we? Huge. You know, I think you've got charities like Movember Mind, um, that are doing. A huge, 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 huge amount. But the only way to remove the stigma is by more males speaking up. And, and it's again, like I said earlier on about having that responsibility to share. I've got quite a large following on social media and I thought, well, let's get the word out. Yeah. Um, and it did take a little bit of because I think that there is this this notion that if, if people if I say that, like, for example, I've got some sort of mental health challenge will that have an impact on my business? Will that have an impact on my life? But I thought, no, this is bigger than my ego. Yeah. So so I started sharing and I know many other males have done that. And as a result of that, other males are starting to share. So 
again, it all comes down to that responsibility. I feel like for me, on a mental health area, I'm comfortable sharing. So oh. I feel it's a responsibility to because I know so many men out there still don't. Yeah, it's going to help so many people, isn't it? If it helps just one, then we've absolutely p- potentially saved a life, literally. Yes, yes. Now, Ash, a few years ago, your sister Abby died. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about Abby and what life was like before she died? Okay. So Abby was my ba- baby sister. Um, she was eight years younger than me. And Abby had a challenging life. And as a result of that, um, our family did <laughs> as well. So Abby and me were estranged, I suppose is the best, best way to put it. Um, I wrote, I mean, I'm currently writing a book about this, actually, and... For me, Abby died twice. Okay. For me, um, the the literal death and the separation. Yeah. Um, but yes, so it, so just to kind of come back, Abby spent the last few ten, twelve years of her life institutionalized. Okay. Um, she was put into, she was sectioned in 2007 and she lived in various state and, and eventually in a private um, facility, um, which was good to be honest with because it made her safe. She, she had yeah. very, when she was out in, living with the family and all of that. There was a lot of trouble, a lot of problems, a lot of challenges. Um, People, yeah, got hurt um, and she was not safe. Yeah. So eventually she was institutionalised, which obviously put a big strain. Before she went in and afterwards put a strain on the family. Yeah, people don't realise the impact mental health has on the people around... Um, the people suffering and mental health exists on such a vast spectrum ranging from mild challenges to more severe disorders and individuals like Abby with mental health issues can teach us the importance of recognising and understanding this diversity and the impact that it has on the family and friends as well. Massively. Yeah, yeah. And their stories remind us that mental health can affect all of us. And it's not something easily categorised or simplified. It's a complex tapestry of emotions, thoughts and experience, experiences unique to each individual. So, you know, I can hear it in you. There's a lot of pain still, you know, the way Abby was and how it's affected your family. How, how do you deal with this? Um, my initial reaction... It, it kind of come back to how do men share that this was to run away. Um, okay. I literally moved to a different country. Yeah. Um, I quit my job and my life here because I just couldn't handle it anymore. Um, it was it was tough um, because you you know I know I have a lot more awareness now around yeah. this. Back then, I didn't. I was effectively a, a man child. Um, so it was like, what about me? How, you know, because I think when you're as a parent, I believe I'm not a parent, but I'm just going to like try and empathize with that. I think when you when you have a child that offers that much challenge, as Abby did, and you're trying to protect that child as best as you can, you don't, there's no instruction manual here. There's no guide on how to look after people like Abby that no. had all these challenges that were violent, aggressive, got in trouble with the police, lied, um, sent a couple of us to spend some time at Majesty's pleasure yeah. through her uh, behaviour. There's no instruction guide here. No. 
so so I know my mum and dad were doing what they could with what they had. Yeah. Um, but I think again when you're you're there and you're seeing this because I wasn't living at the house, I was watching it from kind of afar almost. I'm like, this this ain't right. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't right. But to be able to have a, I wasn't mentally mature enough at that time to have a kind of co- de- a, a, a conversation about how can we handle this? Because it was so emotional. Yeah. It was so personal for everybody. Um, so my solution of, eventually it was to run away. Yeah, and that worked for you. And that's what you needed to do yeah. in that moment. So Abby died suddenly, didn't yeah. she? So Very. It wasn't um, related to her mental health issues? Not that, no. So well, could you just share the events that led up to her death and how your family learned about the cause of her death? Yeah, yeah. Abby had just moved into a new facility. They were slowly easing her back into into society. Yeah. Um, so she was at a new place and I'd been out that night with some friends um, and I'd come back. So my mum had literally, like they always did, they'd spoken, I think around seven o'clock. Abby said she wasn't feeling great, but, you know, she just had a cold or something and she was going to go and watch um, a favourite TV show. Um, the next thing we know at 12 o'clock, we get a phone, my mum gets a phone call saying Abby's dead. Um, and I just, or, or no, I think she'd got a phone call saying Abby had been taken to hospital and then she got a phone call like an hour later saying Abby was dead. Um, and yeah, I had to phone Zara, my sister, um, which was not, yeah, I don't want to have to make that phone call again. Nobody wants to make that phone call, um, do they? No. And then some mum and mum and dad got a friend because they'd both, I think they'd both been drinking. Or oh, my, my dad had been, so my a friend came and drove them to the hospital and I'm just, at, yeah, just at home like, yeah. what do you do? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the death of a sibling is, is rarely talked about. Mm. And my daughter and I were having a conversation on this subject. People don't like talking about grief generally, but when we lose a brother or sister, society doesn't really acknowledge the loss so much, does it? You know, and this can complicate the grieving process mm. too. Uh, and people need to have their grief validated and heard. But for some reason, the loss of a sibling is a type of hidden grief. But you've got all this other stuff, this backstory as well that adds to your experience. Yeah. Um, and then the shock of losing her, there's no warning. You don't see that coming. No. You know, so you've got your life to live. But, you know, did your training as a coach give you any tools that you use on yourself to help you process your experience? Not the time, because I think this is sort of probably the catalyst that drew me more into coaching okay. and in particular working with the type of people that reach out for me. And I always say this, grief is such a unique experience. Yeah. You know, people can say, oh, I know how you feel. No, they don't. No. They don't. When it comes to grief, nobody has a clue because everybody reacts so differently. Um, I couldn't, it's like me saying, oh, I know how my mum feels. I ain't got a clue. I'm not a mother. How could I possibly know no. what it's like for her to lose a child? Impossible. So for me, it was just, it's a very weird place. I, I just felt like everything kind of came to a, a standstill almost. Yeah. But the, the kind of ironic the one thing I noticed was a lot of my kind of like mental health symptoms just disappeared because the focus was elsewhere. Yeah. So I was just kind of walking around. I, I remember because I'm, I'm a bit of a people watcher, but I remember just sitting in the pub this one day 
just like everybody just doing their own thing and I'm just kind of sat there on this armchair like just feeling like a different world yeah a different world um because I think it is easy I think certainly as a, a sibling yes that the focus is put on certainly the parents uh when it comes to grief um and right and, and I you know I felt bad for my parents because they'd fought so lot so hard for Abby yeah and they were starting to get somewhere and they finally got some sort of diagnosis they could do something with that was going to have an impact on her life. And then, no, <laughs> yeah. it, it's gone. And for me, I after the first couple of days, you know, we had a lot of people at the house. I just wanted everybody to disappear. Yeah. I was like, and so if people were going to keep coming around, I just disappeared. So I, you know, being around people helps. It has to be on your terms. Absolutely. So did the coaching come after Debbie, um, Abby's death? Yeah. Okay. And was did you go into the coaching because of your experience, you say? No, I think part of it was I'd always, because I was still, I'd been teaching. So it just felt, for me, felt like a logical next step. Yeah. To start coaching people. And... Yeah, it was just a very logical next step for me. I think everything with my life has always kind of just led. One step has led to the next one. There's no plan. You just go with. I, I don't tend to do well with plans. No, no, no. <laughs> That's good. Do what works for you. So what helped you, Ash, on your grief journey? Did you have any counselling, any therapy? or? Yes, yeah. I think for me, I had, I just... It was kind of perfect timing, really. I just arranged to start new sessions with with a counsellor. Um, so yeah, I remember we we went in. We were just doing the first account, first like letter. Okay, what's the objectives? What are we doing? I said, well, and I just kind of blurted out with it. Well, yeah, I'm not entirely sure what's what at the moment. Why was that? Well, my sister died. It just almost it was just almost like a throwaway comment. Yeah. Um. So that helped a lot because I think one of the biggest feelings that I had to deal with mostly with this was the guilt. Okay. Um, and I think, again, that's probably driven the coaching and the way that I've supported a lot of people since. Yes, yeah. Because um, as I mentioned at the start of the, of the session, I kind of cut off Abby in 2007 I just couldn't handle it no I couldn't handle the the family dynamic I found it very uncomfortable when we were together as a family unit I just felt it I just yeah yeah so I distanced myself and I'd kind of made a point that I was like okay maybe we need to start developing a relationship again but I can't do it in the family unit it has to be me and her yeah and you always just assume Okay, I'll do it next week. I'll do it next week. We got all the time in the world until you don't. Yeah. So, so the counselling really helped with the guilt because yeah. I think that was one of the huge. Because she was my little sister, and I felt I'd let her down because I used to protect her. Yeah. And I've got, I've got that big protecting, nurturing role. It's a big part of my personality. So I thought, okay, well, and this wasn't a conscious thing, but I can see how it's played out now. Yeah. Um, how, well, if I couldn't protect her, maybe I couldn't do right by other people. Yeah. But you probably did the right thing for her as well, because you're not an expert in Abby's problems and mm. mental health issues. And sometimes the people that are closest can't help those people they need the experts mm -hmm. so you not being there was probably helpful in some way sure yeah so what else helped you ash or any um you know books or films or podcasts or anything I think, yeah i think it's a, to answer again a question that you asked earlier on i think i i discovered brene brown 
Oh, I love that lady. Yeah. She's so inspirational, isn't she? Absolutely. And I, I quote her all the time, especially around the whole of Daring Greatly, because she speaks a lot about vulnerability. Yes. Um, so being able to really enhance that, uh, to embrace that vulnerability and to just speak. So she was a big, 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 big um, inspiration. Um, I found Gabor Mate yeah. as well. His words are very powerful. He just has a, a very powerful way of reframing. He's just very skilled at reframing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> very skilled at reframing. Um, and just learning to be gentle with yourself. Yeah. Especially again, I think, because this is not a unique thing. I think if you asked a lot of people regarding grief, especially those that even even if it was a sudden loss or even people on their deathbed, there's usually a lot of guilt about the things people didn't do Yeah. in their life. So reading things certainly by Brené Brown and Gabor Maté um, and even stuff like the law of attraction, actually being mindful of what you're doing now, at the time you have, was was very powerful. And so, yeah, that, that helped a lot. Yeah. And I will put links to these um, people in the show notes so the listeners can check them out because um, there's there's a lot on YouTube that you can just yeah. sit and listen to. Because I know when people are grieving, I found it very difficult to sit and read. I couldn't concentrate. Mm. So I would listen to a lot of stuff. And just listening to them talk is very healing, isn't it? I love listening. Yeah, I think that's a very powerful thing. I think the one thing I would definitely say is... Some things that you would normally do might just not work. Absolutely. You yeah. won't be able to focus. Yeah. Um, some people like myself kind of dove in and say, okay, I'll just work. Yeah. Nah, that, that, That's just that a distraction, isn't That's it? That's just a distraction. <laughs> and it didn't help because I couldn't focus. So I think as well, just being as well, I'd say in that moment, just being truthful with people, yeah. being gentle with yourself and saying, look, I can do this and I can't do that. And just that's that's it. Yeah. You don't have to describe it. You don't have to explain yourself. Just say, look, I just can't. That's it, enough. Yeah. So did you find people were unsure how to be around you or not know what to say after Abby died? You know, did you have people cross the road to avoid you like some people do? <laughs> I didn't see that. I think people do get a bit awkward. I've noticed With people do get a bit awkward around death. They yeah. get a bit awkward. They don't know what to say, and people then get a bit conscious. Well, what if I say the wrong thing? And well, not saying anything is that necessarily going to be helpful. Yeah. Because I I didn't have any problems. There there were people around me that were there, and they listened, and and that was that was good. That was good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But as a society, we're just not comfortable with talking about grief, are we? Nope. It's um, something, hopefully, the podcast, you know, that I'm on a mission to help society become more grief literate. Um, you know, even finding the right words to express your condolences can seem very clumsy to yeah. some people and or it might be the right words for somebody else. Do you, do you have the, the magic formula? Do you know what to say to people <laughs> to pass on your condolences? I wouldn't say that, but I think, again, just to, to reflect on what you were saying there, it, it kind of surprises me really because grief, grief is a part of everyday life. Yeah. And I'm not just talking about death. You know, we are constantly moving through life and we lose things. Yeah. That matter to us. People, relationships, jobs. Yeah. We're, we're constantly grieving. But yeah, there's this whole awkward awkwardness around it. So my magic formula is just, I always say to people, just kind of read the room a little bit. And again, we, we're usually, I think one part of the awkwardness is we're putting ourselves too much into that. We're worried too much about, well, what will they think about me? This ain't about you. Yeah, yeah. It's the other person just say, and it may be the stupid question. Most stupid. It feels like it, it, when you're doing it, it's like, "How are you doing? 
how, no, how, but just actually being there and looking them, touching them on the shoulder and going, is there anything I can do? How are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, it, it, you feel like you know the answer. You know they're doing terrible, but just actually taking the time to say, but. Yeah. You know. I think it's about acknowledging the loss, isn't it? it you know, it, uh, if people just completely ignore it, I think that's worse totally. than saying something clunky or clumsy. Totally. Just say that. something. You, you know, you're not going to make that person feel better, whatever you say, yeah. but if you say nothing, then that's worse in some way, I think. So I think for me, you know, I just, a friend of mine lost their child at the end of last year, very suddenly as well, very suddenly. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, she was young as well, yeah. which makes it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I got to see this firsthand on the other side. It was like my, but I'd check in with him. Yeah. Because I know the sort of person he is, and I know that he, a he would appreciate the fact that someone's taken the time to check in on him. Yeah. And yes, those are the first couple of times when I'm texting or getting on the phone, like, "How are you doing? Well, you've just lost your daughter. You feel yeah. like terrible." But I can't make that decision for him. You know, I can't say, "Right, this is how." He, well, maybe I'll, he'll feel this way if I send this. It's, for me, it's like it's a friend. Just let him know I'm here. Yeah. Do you need anything? And again, I think when you're in that, certainly in the initial griefing, you ain't got a clue what you need. No. So in the end, I, I'd say to people at that, if you've got a friend, if you know somebody that's just gone through a loss, especially especially a sudden one, just go knock on the door. They ain't, don't don't text them and say, what do you need? They ain't got a clue. Yeah. They ain't got a clue what they need. Yeah. They got no capacity to know what they need. No. Do you know what I loved... Um loved appreciated after um our son matthew died we'd open the front door and there would be like a bag of shopping on the yeah. doorstep there was somebody left a tin and like a tin of sweets and I, I just put it away and months later i thought oh i'll open that tin of sweets and i opened it and there was a moldy cake in there oh, <laughs> they no. baked me a cake oh, and i hadn't them. even opened the tin um but just random acts of kindness yeah just they were the sort of things that touched me as well. Massively. And also when people send like um, a sympathy card, some people went the extra mile and wrote in a little memory that they used to think about Matthew. And just little touches like that mean so much. Huge. Because this is the thing as well with grief sometimes. You feel like it almost becomes a taboo subject yeah. to talk about that person. Um, But I think for me, some of the... <laughs> the best funerals, the, if that's even the right word. <laughs> well, you can but say the, that because my son's funeral was amazing. Yeah. It was such a celebration. Oh, Everybody that knew and loved him was in the same room and it was, it was lovely. So, yes, you can have a good funeral. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I think it's that, you know, I remember one, a friend's uh, brother, and I just remember him, he, he just had this love for life. Yeah. And and his funeral was all about that. And we just talked about all the random stuff he did and just laughed and joked and, and just celebrated it. Yeah. And I think, so sometimes I think people tread around that. It's like, well, can I mention that? Can yeah. I mention that? Can I mention that? And people do want to remember, though. It's, it's, some, it's very healing, I think, certainly. I know for my mum, because I don't really talk a lot about Abby, really, unless somebody brings it up. Yeah. Um, but I know for my mom, she'll talk about the story. She wants to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. She wants to keep that memory alive. That, that part of her that she's lost, she wants to keep it alive. So, Absolutely. You know, why deny people that? And I think when you've had a difficult relationship with a loved one and then they die... You have all of those mixed emotions that sure. you, you go through. But if you can find one or three, maybe one, two, three, really good memories of where you were with that person, where you were having a laugh or <laughs> smiling, if you can just hang on to three of those memories yeah. and hold that in your heart, they would want you to think of them in that way, wouldn't they? Oh, absolutely. 
So, yeah. Um, but how would you describe grief to someone who has never had a significant loss? <laughs> wow. Um, it's like nothing you've ever experienced before. Yeah. There's, there's no words. There's no words to, that can prepare you for it because you just don't know how it will be. No. You know, the, the way it was for me, I can describe how it was for me. I just literally felt like I was existing on a different planet. There was this sense of calm and then there would be, and you never knew when it was coming, there'd be absolute, these moments were just completely overcome with emotion. Yeah. And you just didn't know when they were going to hit. You could just be walking down the street and the next thing you know, you're bursting into tears. Um, uncontrollable. Um, out, but you just, you just got to go with it. Yeah. Accept it. Be, the, be with it. Don't fight it. Um, roll with it. Yeah. Whatever so, it, however it shows up for you. Yeah, just... Just feel it, like you say, experience it. Allow yourself to process um, whatever is there. Don't push it down. Don't suppress it. Don't think I'll deal with this another day. You just need to be in in it. I think, yeah, I mean, I would say to anyone out there, cancel your schedule. Don't yeah. go to work. Don't just go and sit in the pub and drink, 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 drink. You just be there with it yeah yeah um it, it needs to have an outlet absolutely so that stuff if you sit it down especially if again if you've got other emotions like that with the guilt whatever you just let that curdle inside you yeah 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 that's going to cause problems it'll come out sooner or rather than it'll come out eventually absolutely because when we push these unprocessed emotions down they go into the body they go into yeah. our organs and our tissues and our bones and there is this theory that eventually it will turn into an ache or a pain or an illness or a disease you know we need to experience grief it is part yeah. of life and it is horrible yeah but what words of wisdom could you share to maybe help someone loosen their grief in some way Again, I think we'll just, just reflect a little bit on what, what we said a few minutes back. Yeah. About take that time to be gentle with yourself, but also celebrate the life of the person who's passed. Yeah. yeah. Find those moments of, of laughter, of kindness, of stupidity, yeah. of silliness. The shared moments when you've traveled, you've when you were growing up, played a game, just take the time to really embrace that and keep the, those memories alive absolutely um if the tears come let them come don't apologize for it either i see that all the time i'm sorry i'm so what are you sorry for you're in pain don't be sorry for that yeah i don't need to apologize for it just embrace it um and over time Things will ease, things will become lighter. Just go with it. Yeah, good advice. It won't always be like this. No. It will change. So where are you in your grief journey now, Ash? Hmm. That's a good question. <laughs> I've come to terms with a lot of it. I think... I think for me, like I mentioned earlier on, I, I many years back I started writing a book on my mental health journey because, um, again, I just felt that as a man I needed to be sharing this story because not enough men have been sharing this story. But there were two particular chapters that were going to deal with Abby and I've not been able to write them. But when you approached me to come on here, all of a sudden my book got dusted off and I've started writing it again. And I've shared my mum, shared it with my mum. Yeah. 
because I was worried a little bit about me talking truthfully, what impact that would have on her, yeah. on, on the other members of the family. Um, so now I feel that, that that can come out now, truthfully. In terms of how I feel and in, in the grief, um, yeah, I think there's still, still that element of guilt, but I feel there's a lot more peace there regarding it yeah um do i do i go and see abby's grave no i think i've been to it twice yeah um for me it doesn't that doesn't do anything for me but i have uh, i don't i don't know what this abby comes every now and again okay I smell, you get the smell of cigarette smoke every now and again. So I've started talking to her. So even in, in death, there is a way to gain some sort of peace. Yeah. With, with the relationship, so... Yeah, That's, it's it's an ongoing journey, isn't it? Oh yeah, for sure. You know, like Mum, for example, she just talks about it as like a tsunami. Yeah, she'll be fine one minute and then she just crashes. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I didn't have those extremes. Okay. At all, uh, when it came to it, for sure. Um, but yeah, yeah, there are times yeah. I catch it and I think. I see, or I see a picture at home or that, and it just it does make me feel sad. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, I can't change that now, so just... Yeah. And people probably look at you, you're a confidence coach, and you've got your life sorted. But underneath, we're all battling something, aren't we? Yeah. I and mean, obviously, what you're going through is, is and ha have been through, is enormous... And it's an ongoing journey. But a lot of people on the outside will see Ash, confidence coach. So the fact that you're talking about this, I'm so grateful that you're my guest today, Ash, because I really believe this is going to touch a lot of people out there, particularly men. And it's going to be so helpful. So do you believe that grief has given you any gifts? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a whole, a whole host more of understanding. Yeah. Because I realised certainly like when Abby was here and like you mentioned earlier on, I think when, you, when you've got that personal attachment with family and maybe you don't have the emotional intelligence or the maturity, at the time it's very easy to take things personally instead of actually, or well, what's actually going on for her? What's actually driving that behaviour? Um, so... Being able, I think it opened a path of discovery for me yeah. regarding that. And certainly with the type of people I've been work, you know, a lot of the people I've worked with that have got challenging behaviours, learning challenges, yeah. emotional challenges. It's like, what's driving this? What's yeah. powering this? What is behind that behaviour? Um, so it did, for sure. It opened me up a lot more to what people do, their yeah. behaviour, and also a greater level of understanding. Yeah. So, yeah, so that, that with, without a shadow of a doubt, those, that's been massive gifts. Yeah. Oh, that's good to hear that you, you can see that and acknowledge that because a lot of people find that quite a difficult question. Um, how can the death of a loved one give me any gifts? But there is a gift in everything, isn't Absolutely. there? I think, well, because, I mean, grief ultimately is the, or the death is like one of the biggest examples of life in terms of chaos. It creates chaos. Yeah. It totally throws you off your equilibrium. And, but within that, when you are in chaos, that is one of the best opportunities to learn yeah. because you are not fixed in your ways, in your mindset. Yeah. So you're open to see other things. And that it was without a shadow of a doubt what, what I noticed. Yeah. 
So what would you like people to learn from your experience? Well, in terms of the living and the people that are still here, don't wait for tomorrow. Ain't guaranteed. Yeah. I'm living proof of that in the relationship I had with Abby. I said, right, we'll do it. We'll do it next week. We'll do it next month. We'll do it next month. Yeah. Never got to do it. So if you have a, a relative, uh, a friend that you're estranged from for any reason, you feel any sort of compel, a compulsion to re change up that relationship, do it today. Yeah. Not next week, not next year. Do it today. Yeah. Good advice. So you mm. say Abby visits you, you smell yeah. cigarettes. So do you believe our loved ones can give us signs? And what are your thoughts about the afterlife? <laughs> I always, like, I'm not a religious person at all, but I've always had, I've always been interested in the whole spirituality side of things. So, yeah, I think when I was in Thailand, they they do reincarnation, the afterlife, karma, nirvana yeah. is a big, big, big part of those Eastern Asian um, religions or beliefs, because a lot of them, they don't class themselves as religions. Um, so that really, I loved exploring that. And I believe that, I don't know if there's such a thing as heaven and hell as that, but I think just the nature of who we are and what makes us we're energy we're atoms yeah i don't believe that in its current form it dies for sure but i believe we do go back to the earth and do reformulate in some way shape or form so i do believe that something happens yeah um and in answer to that, when I get visits, I can't explain that. I don't know if that's a, a mind thing, uh, whether it actually is that, whether it's association, but it is strong. Yeah. And you cannot deny it. You know, cause my parents, they talked about it. They said they'd smell her every now and again. Yeah. And nobody smokes. <laughs> and that yeah. smell is smoke. As someone who yeah. smoked and someone who smelt smokers, yeah. It's a very distinct smell. And when it happens, does it give you comfort? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like now I'll just speak to her because like I've got a friend, a former partner actually, who who has a, a gift. Yeah. And she got visited by Abby a few times and sent a message. It was like, don't, don't forget about me. Oh, I'm here. So I know, yeah, that, that sort of thing. I've seen ghosts. Yeah. Or I believe I have. Yeah. Like, it's doing their thing. Yeah. I feel scared by it. I feel comforted by it. I'm, I'm on the same um, page as you when it comes to sort of the afterlife. Haven't got the answers, but I do believe there's something. Sure. You know, we're energy at the end of the day and Absolutely. energy can't, you know, has to exist in some um, shape mm -hmm. or form. So, you know, when our physical body dies, where does that energy go? So, yeah. So if you could give Abby a message, Ash, what would you like to say? I think the first word was sorry, but she already knows that. Yes. Um, I think if she was here, like right now, I'd probably just make a laugh and a joke. I'd just say something funny and be silly. Because <laughs> um, that was the way we connected, yeah. those silliness, through the silliness. Yeah. I don't think we ever had a life-defining conversation or anything profound. So I think that goes straight over a red. She go, what are you talking about that nonsense for? <laughs> so, yeah, I'd probably just say something funny like, yeah, yeah just say something to try and make her laugh. 
Oh, well, Ash, I'm so grateful that you have been, well, first of all, my first male guest. <laughs> You've been an amazing guest and I'm so grateful. So thank you very much. And thank you very much for having me. It's, yeah, been awesome. Very welcome. Thank you. When I approached Ash to be a guest on my podcast, I'd no idea he'd had an estranged relationship with his sister, Abby. Today, he spoke bravely and openly about this, and it will help others who have experienced a similar situation. He describes that he lost Abby twice. She died twice, the first time when they became estranged. When it comes to grieving the loss of an estranged sibling or loved one, the pain can be uniquely complex. It's not only the grief over the physical departure, but also the mourning of a relationship that never had a chance to fully mend. The emotions may range from deep sadness and regret to confusion and anger. You can find yourself questioning what could have been different what could I have done to bridge the gap between us? In many ways, this type of loss is accompanied by waves of guilt and unresolved feelings that can take years, even decades, to process. While society often romanticises our family bonds, it's important to acknowledge that sometimes relationships break down due to various circumstances. Grieving an estranged sibling or loved one involves embracing the complexity of these emotions and finding solace in cherishing the memories you have instead of dwelling on what could have been. An exercise to practice is to think of a happy memory you have of the two of you together. It may only be a brief happy memory, but capture it and focus your attention on this. Better still, find two or three good memories to keep in your heart. Choose your favourite memories and hold these in your heart when you think about your estranged loved one. It's never too late to repair what's been broken. The memories they leave behind are the gifts for you to keep. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Gift for Grief. Please feel free to share it with your friends and family and let's encourage others to become more grief literate. If you're struggling with your grief or worried about your mental health, please do speak to your doctor. If you would like to join me on my social media groups, check out the show notes for all the links and I look forward to connecting with you next time. The music on this podcast was written and recorded by Matthew Bates and can be found on his two albums, Fight Back and Kaleidoscope.